podcast, Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. As promised, for this podcast, we will take another look at the second half of Season 1 to take a deeper dive into the major theme and character development of the series. Without a question, Gary, you know, I think the theme that stood out to us uh, that served as the major spine of the series focused on how fears, whether real or perceived, played a critical role in how uh, they ch- chose to live their lives. Right, you can actually see that act from the beginning of the series and character motivation being f- motivated more by fear of something happening or fear for someone as opposed to an aspiration or a desire. Right. So, episode 15, entitled, Will You Take My Hand, begins with the following story voiced by Michael Burnham. On the eve of battle, on a cold and windless night, an old general turned to a young soldier. Tomorrow, said the old master, you will know fear. The young soldier, who was inexperienced and not yet familiar with the agony of war, looked at the old general with quizzical eyes. How will I know fear if I do not yet know what it looks like? The general replied, You will know fear because it speaks very fast and very loud. Although the story is told in the last episode, the subject of fear is addressed throughout this season of episodes. For our analysis, I found it helpful to listen to a uh, TED Talk given in 2012 on the subject given by author Karen Thompson-Walker. She said our fears evoke suspense and make us think about the future. In fact, our fears cause us to project ourselves forward in time. Fears force us to think about what will happen next. In her presentation, Walker tells us that as children, we are told not to be fearful, that this is a childish emotion, However, as adults, we learn that this is not true. Fears are not inherently foolish or silly. It is actually the choices or options we decide to take based on those fears that are the issue. For instance, in the United States, each year we suffer many more deaths by Americans with guns than assaults by foreign terrorists. Yet, We choose to spend billions of dollars on measures to lessen the threat of alien terrorists while doing relatively little to address gun violence by our fellow Americans. How we choose to react to our fears defines who we are and how we decide to live our lives with the essential question being, what happens next? Regarding characters in Star Trek Discovery, this theme is most significantly exemplified through the character of Saru. Right, with Saru, Saru, as we've told from the very beginning of the series, is a Kelpian whose people are prey on his home planet. And as such, he has a warning device. Kelpians have these ganglia, which are designed to sense danger. And Saru has lived most of his life in a constant state of fear. Um, the effect of his this condition is focused in episode 8, which is um, Sivis Pachem Parabellum, the, the second part of the, the Pavan story. When he want, is introduced to these people, 
this, this alien species that is able to remove him of all sense of fear. He cherishes the emotions, even to the point of actually going against Starfleet regulations and all of his training as a Starfleet officer. Um, he attacks Michael Burnham. He attacks Lieutenant Ash Tyler on their away mission. He, However, he soon becomes entranced by this euphoric, peaceful world where the native people are able to live in harmony with the planet. Now, peace is usually aligned with truth and non-aggression. But in this case, Saru becomes obsessed with his new lifestyle to the point that he is willing to both abandon his mission, relinquish his Federation commission, and become a deserter. And he, and he goes so far as to lie and threaten Michael and Tyler to keep them on the planet against their will so that not to return to the ship, to his life on Discovery. Rather, against his will, Saru is beamed back to the ship but he does take responsibility for his behavior with rationale that he wanted nothing more than to live his life without fear, which is the most important thing for him at that moment. Okay, One, one may think that, 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 that Kelpian would now, now be prone to spending his life longing for a return to Pavo. However, what we find in that episode is that the incident appears to be a watershed moment for Saru. Prior to this time, his, he displays doubts about his ability to achieve his ambitions to take command of the starship. Moment for Saru. Um, prior to this time, we've seen him display doubts in his ability to take command of a starship. However, throughout the remaining episodes, Saru shows he's developed clear leadership abilities to the point where he's become a model example of what we would see as a Starfleet commander. By episode 13, the episode entitled What's Past His Prologue, once again, um, we see Saru's transformation into a Federation officer worthy to be Starfleet captain. Before taking the ship into a critical situation, with a low chance of success in, in the tradition of most Star Trek captains, he gets the crew to focus on the possibilities instead of the improbabilities. He encourages them to do their best because he knows that they have what it takes. He argues that Lorca abused our idealism. Discovery is no longer Lorca's, but ours. I mean, he tells them that his ganglia is not reacting to any apparent danger and instills in them a sense of courage and confidence needed to seek options that will enhance their chances for survival. I mean, Saru's ganglia appears to be unresponsive because Saru has discovered his own true nature. That's what I think. Um, and as a poised and positive and commanding leader who, who can galvanize and inspire trust in his crew. So, um, thanks, Gary. Let, I'm going to talk a little bit about Ash Tyler because, um, in contrast, Ash Tyler demonstrates a different response to fear. In episode 11, uh, entitled The Wolf Inside, Ash conveys to Michael how during cadet training he had to face his fear of being in open space with only a spacesuit to protect him. 
He tells her what allowed him to overcome his fear was the tether used in one's first few experiences in space. The tether comforted him to realize, he says, um, it links you back to what you know, who you love, helps you stay strong even as you head out into the open abyss. He goes on to confess to Michael she has acted as his tether throughout the mental crisis he has, under, he has undergone related to his experience on the Klingon prison ship. It was her love for him which he used as a homing device to bring him back to his identity as Ash Tyler, the security officer from Washington State with a love for sailing. Yet, Ash was not entirely truthful with Michael regarding the extent of his fear regarding his mental and emotional turmoil. He sought help from both Laurel and Dr. Colbert to deal with his inner turmoil. However, he is unable to choose the appropriate response to his predicament, that is, to take leave from his duty in order to seek more intensive investigation of his condition. In episode 14, Michael indicts Ash for not letting her know the depths of his illness. However, her expectations were unreasonable. Ash knew his condition was spiraling out of control, but he was reluctant to remove himself from Michael's sphere, the source of his stability, albeit intermittent stability. Michael tells Ash his road to recovery is a solitary journey, but that simply is not true. It was not true for her, and it cannot be for him. By the end of episode 15, Ash decides to go with Laurel to assist in the efforts to find ways the Federation and Klingon Empire may coexist. While he does not know what the future holds for him, he realizes Michael is not able to continue to give him what he needs. So, he frees her from that responsibility. Yet, in her hands, he leaves a physical representation of his promise of unconditional love for her, and that is that bowline knot, which he says doesn't run and doesn't slip. So, Gary, so now that we looked at a couple of characters, let's um, look at more of a macro level and look at the prime versus the mirror universes. Okay, so you, you probably have noticed that last episode we talked a lot about mirroring and how characters were dramatic foils. Well, in a larger sense, the contrast between the uh, prime universe and the mirror universe were used as mirrors or foils to one another so that we could see differences. And that was probably most, most manifested when we looked at the theme of fear. I mean, the theme is magnified when we juxtapose the prime and the mirror universe together. Initially, we see the behavior of the people, the two different universes appearing to be strikingly different, like two sides of the same coin. But by the season's end, when the discovery returns to the prime universe, we learn how easily desperation can be used to affect decision-making in the face of fear at the stakes, that if the stakes are high enough. And that's really what we're talking about here. 
what what is the trigger mechanisms that can push somebody to feel fear enough that they're capable of actually making decisions that we know are horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, let's first look at the prime universe and mirror universes versions of the Klingons. In the prime universe, fear of assimilation leading to the end of their way of life and culture is what fuels the hatred that Takuvma cultivates against the Federation. And it's perceived that they need to eliminate this threat via genocide in order to survive as a species. Mm -hmm. While the Federation attempts to give assurances that this would not be the case, we can clearly think of a number of instances where Native peoples on Earth have faced similar dire predicaments, where the phrase, we come in peace, has been used to assuage people of any threat that these new this new um, insurgents would bring all only to look centuries later or decades later and see how many cases these new these new immigrants are encroaching on parts or portions of their planet i mean that's really how the manifest destiny of the united states was 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 enacted that's right yeah so in the in the prime universe well, in the mirror universe, rather, um, the Klingon homeworld has already been destroyed. I mean, the survival of the Klingon race, for what it is, they found their best options have been to join alliances with non-Klingon species, with the Tellurites, or with the Andorians, and even with the Vulcans. This is something that, in our in the Prime Universe, the Klingons look down on. They see this as a... As a, a as a something going against their very ideals, um, but in the mirror universe, the the rebel leader Firewolf, who turns out to be their version of Vok, has embraced this and actually has been quite effective in holding this alliance of species together. The, the they tend to fight against the Terran Empire. In doing so, they are they take on the characteristics of what. The Prime Universe Federation appears to have based on principles of universal liberty and rights and equality. In fact, when we see Ash Tyler um, beam down with Michael and he's confronted with this mirror version of himself, he is uh, he's appalled by the ideas of equality and unity that are evoked by this Vok. Right. That the ones the way he talks about it. The crew of Discovery also, when they're in the mirror universe, um, experience aspects of the, the mirror universe in two ways. First, they are unwittingly transported there where Terrans rule their quadrant of space with an iron fist. These xenophobic humans demean other species, squash dissent, murder rebels without thought. In this world, might makes right. Um, Lorca the one we've been exposed to through this series, informs us that the strong and the capable will always rise. And that is a philosophy that he lives by in most of his behavior. However, in this society, we all also threatened by internal strife in which one must always be on guard for the changes in loyalty and the ambitions fueling a coup or mutinies to move up the ranks and gain greater power. This happens moments after 
um, Burnham meets the mirror version of Cooper, and he tries to kill Connor. her. Uh, Connor. Connor, right. and he tries to kill her in the turbo lift. Right. Um, she and and when she gets rid of him, the cat, the rest of the crew of the bridge of the Shinzu applaud her. That's right. For having eliminated, but having been strong enough to eliminate an obvious threat to her authority. Um, so we also see, according to Michael's research, when she tells us in episode ten, despite our, despite yourself. Terrans live in a constant fear, wondering where the next knife will come. This is something that she, like I said, she displays when, in, in her own experience. Discovery, the Discovery crew also comes into contact with Terrans in the Prime Universe, first unknowingly through the guise of Captain Lorca, who is obsessed with war and its accoutrements. You see how he amasses a whole cadre of devices that are used for war and battle mm-hmm. in his ready room. Um, you also see it as he, is, through the manifestation of the command of when Federation gives Mirror Giorgio command of the Discovery, um, why, and why she does little to mask her true identity. When she takes charge, she cares not for the niceties of Starfleet. She, in fact, she scoffs at them immediately. Mm-hmm. She chastises Discovery officers for seeming to humanize Klingons. Um, she instructs them not to refer to Konos as its home world. She tells, she tells them that they are animals and that they have no home. Call it by its name or identify it as the enemy planet. She's trying to dehumanize it in a way, to try to take it from being something, a sentient being that she has to respect, to something that she can discard. Mm-hmm. Mira Giorgio also ascribes to this, to none of the altruistic equal rights and social justices of the of the Federation. Yet the Federation appoints her to command the most important ship in Starfleet because she says she's defeated the Klingons in her universe, by means the Federation would ordinarily deem as unacceptable, mm-hmm. which is the irony of it because that's it is it is the ruthlessness that she's already displayed that guarantees her authority to execute this battle to end the Klingon War in this universe. They don't mind her dirtying her hands since she's already that's done right. it for her for for their for their benefit. Right. Well, they and they think it's for their survival. It's for their. They, they think this is the only way we're gonna be able to defeat the. Klingon us if we go this route and again it's 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 because of that those nine months that the discovery misses in their existence that that this has brought these people of ideals and morals and and directives to this point where they have been willing to they they willingly ascribe to a course of action that they know is against the way they are supposed to live right so that leaves them very little differentiation between themselves and their mirror counterparts. Exactly, exactly. So the basic question in there is like, how long did it take you to be, to become what you despise? And in this case, obviously, it, it takes it well, only it took t- nine, nine months. months. <laughs> That's right. So clearly, you know, in this case, the Federation officials they've given in to despair, where the Discovery crew are the ones who chose to stay true to Federation ideas. Yeah, and in episode 15, with the crew backing my, her, Michael convinces Admiral Cornwell to adopt a, another course of action, 
that will not circumvent their morals because if they don't have their principles, then what else do they have to fight for? That's right. Yeah, you know, and there is no guarantees that the option will stave off the fear catastrophe that they've been that they've been trying to avoid. For instance, what if Laurel accepts the detonator to to the bomb that they put in Kronos to destroy it? And, and takes command of the Klingon Empire, but then still orders the annihilation of the Federation. I mean, there are a whole lot of questions that they don't get answered before they go through with this effort. Mm-hmm. Still, th- this is the risk the Federation, has. I think, has to take. I mean, it reminds us a little bit of the Bible verse, Mark eight thirty six, For what will it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? That's right. You know, so that's really what's at stake here. Um, armed with this, with an optimism inherent of the manifesto of the Federation, I think Michael reminds them that we must rebuke these thoughts of fear to incapacitate us and use and cause us to disregard those principles by which they believe. She tells them instead, we can only look forward. We have to be torchbearers, casting a light. To, so that we can see our way to a lasting peace. We will continue exploring new worlds and civilizations, yes. That is the F- Uni- United Federation of Planets. All right. So, so that brings us really to the end of Season 2. And uh, we really enjoyed it. I think both Carrie and I really enjoyed it. And we're looking forward to the next season. And so that brings us to this section of, of our podcast that we're going to call Discovery News. So this is going to be, you know, uh, tidbits that we want to share with our listening audience. So um, season two will not return it to 2019. Well, that, well according yeah. to Alex Kirksman, right. um, he's saying early 2019. Early 2019. Right. So, right. so it's a little disappointing, but at the same time, we do expect... You know, the same quality, you know, as far as the production quality goes. And obviously with a cast like that, a talented cast like that, it's hard. It would be hard to get them all together at one time. So um, so we're willing, well, we have no choice, but we um, are willing to allow them to take their time. Yeah, we, yeah we're going to allow them to do we're just gonna what they're going to allow. They, to do just what they're going to they, do. They were concerned about what we, yes, we yes, had to say about it. Because we had control over the situation. Right. And we also found out that um, they, they announced that the returning characters will be Michael Burnham, Saru, Paul Stamets, and Cadet Tilly on the Discovery uh, ship. Um, but we also will have Laurel and Ash Tyler who will um, continue um, to be in the show. And they said that Ash, um, one of the things that Alex Kurtzman said uh, was that Ash will start to have doubts about his role or start to have misgivings about his role um, with the Klingons. So we'll see what they mean by that uh, next year. Uh, possibly um, Lorca will be back uh, this time. There's of, been no, but there's been no statements regarding that at all. Well, it's a possibility. They haven't denied. They didn't say that he wouldn't be back. No. But uh, well, at least the prime version, who we haven't seen the prime version yet. Right, right. right. Uh, and also they, 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 
I would be surprised if if Mirror Giorgio doesn't come back. Yeah, I think I think she'll is. I think as long as the show's on, she will be a reoccurring character. Right. I think she proved to be extremely attractive, entertaining in the episodes that we had her for. Right. And Michelle Yao is just a phenomenal actress, and so it makes perfect sense to bring her back on a sporadic basis. And they also said, you know, there might be a possible. Well, you know, we're guessing that Colbert may be back, Dr. Oh, Colbert, I think, I in think, some way, I think that that I think, I think that green spore that landed on Tilly yes. was clearly a signal for foreshadowing for something in the future. Yeah, all the other spores were white, and this is a colored spore. Right, so, right. So, so something's up with that, and we don't know yet. Right. They also said that they're going to begin to deal with differences in canon between Discovery and the original series, right, which right. is supposed to be 10 years in the future. Right. So, uh, so our guess as far as what they're going to deal with is, for example, the spore drive. We know there's no such thing as a spore drive right. in... You know, in the original and, series, in the original series, or right. going forward, right, right, right. And also, this whole issue about you know why doesn't Spock or you know or Sarek or Amanda? How come they never mention anything about Michael? Right. So they said that they'll start. They'll start giving hints about what what is going on with that. Right. That that's that'll be good too. They also, I, although we didn't say it earlier, they also will be going back into production in April. Oh, that's okay. already been confirmed. So the the they sp- already spent money in back in the fall after the show premiered mm-hmm. to begin expanding the production um, operations up in Toronto. Okay. So they so they could actually do more. So I guess they they CBS invested in larger spaces and whatnot for for studios and gave them a little bit more cash for production values. Oh, that's great! So um, that's gonna be that should that should be seen clearly when we see the show again. But yeah, they they're gonna start shooting again in April. And, and one other thing is they said that they are definitely gonna be doing. More exploration, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So now that the Klingon War is over, they'll be able to go to different planets, see other species, and things like that. It still will be serialized, yes, you know, but they will do that. And we are looking forward to, you know, what was um, brought to us with the last episode of the season, and that is the Enterprise showing up, right? And you know, commanded by Captain Pike, right? So we don't know. Who, uh, who all else is on that ship? We don't know if we're gonna see a young Spock. We don't know if we're gonna see number one. Uh, I would prefer seeing number one than I would young Spock. Well, I, w- I would because I we know so little about her. We don't even know her name. Right, right. All we know is just <laughs> know, number one. Her, her designation was number one. That was it. Right. So I would I would prefer seeing her and Pike. And getting fairly invested in the, their characters before we got introduced to a younger version of Spock. Yeah, so that's really going to be good. So, uh, so as we promised, uh, we're going to have a podcast uh, each month uh, until until season two begins. And so each month we promise to uh, uh, 
to give you more updates on season two, right. uh, cast, production, staff news, and report on other series in the Star Trek universe. And those, when we do that, it's going to be things that we think are related to Discovery so that it will enhance your you know, appreciation of what they're doing in Discovery. We may also give you information on specific cons that might be coming up. Right. Other other information that fans might want to know about Star Trek in total, not just specifically Star Trek Discovery. Right. So it's up. So if you have any ideas of special shows you'd want us to do, please get them to us. We'd love to get your your information about and probably provide you with a episode where we focus on something you might want you might be interested in. Um, until then. Uh, please communicate us to us through uh, Twitter at the the ad, the call number is at Star Trek AOD or at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Star Trek AOD, and let us know what you think about these two questions. If there are any Star Trek topics that you'd like to discuss, and what are your predictions for season two of Discovery? So until then, live long and prosper.